I love Doctor Who so much. It's so good. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Doctor Who Flashcast. I'm Jason Snell. I'm joined again, as I was in the first episode of the season, by a group of people to talk about the last episode of uh, Series uh, 9 of Doctor Who. Hellbent by Stephen Moffat, which uh, just aired not too long ago before we we set up our microphones and began recording this podcast. I'm joined for this episode by three three voices you will have heard before this season. Chip Sutterth, hello. Hello. Looking forward to talking about how David Tennant could have done this one better. (laughs) And uh, that's a lead in for one of my other guests, Liz Miles, (laughs) is back. Hi, Liz. Hi, I'm looking forward to talking about how David Tennant can't act. <laughs> and in between those two, uh, actually geographically, literally, too, out in the middle of the ocean somewhere, it's uh, James Thompson. Hello. Hi, I'm joining you from a sort of Glasgow, space Glasgow. <laughs> space Glasgow. Doctor Who season finale. I don't even know where to begin. I, I'm not going to try to recap the plot too much because we don't have five hours for me to recap what happens. And so much happens. In this episode, we have Gallifrey, we have Nevada. <laughs> for some, for some Gallifrey is actually a town in Nevada. Well, Jackson isn't, so <laughs> that's only that's only fair. Um, oh, I, I you know I, I honestly am, am am not sure where to begin. Um, uh, we might as well begin as the episode does in Nevada. Boy, Stephen Moffat really likes uh, subverting expectations, doesn't he? Because we we are we see Gallifrey. The doctor is back in Gallifrey, and he's mad, and uh, that's how the previous episode ends. And this episode begins with uh, the with a pickup truck going down a road <laughs> in Nevada, taking the doctor to a, an awfully familiar diner, a diner we've seen before. A very convenient, a very convenient diner. I, I believe it is an actual American style diner. In is it London or Cardiff? I can't. It's in remember. Cardiff. I think it's Cardiff. I believe it's Cardiff. Yeah. yeah. Very, very, very convenient. Very convenient. And I had that moment where I said, "No, that that diner wasn't there the last time we saw it. It was in it was in, it was in a town in Utah, not in the middle of nowhere in Nevada, which turned out not to be a plot hole." No, no, it's actually a, it's actually a clue. That tricksy, tricksy Stephen Moffat. Yeah, you know, you 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 started out, Jason, by saying that, uh, you know, we we could take five hours to talk about the plot, but. I don't know that we I don't know that it's an extensively plotted episode. This is more this is character and dialogue and feels and you know, I think that the plot is actually deceptively simple. The doctor goes to Gallifrey, the doctor um gets Clara pulls Clara out of time to try to save her and they realize that it can't be done and her situation is resolved. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, for a Moffat script, it is surprisingly linear and simple, but the, the, the things that the characters go through are just really ramped up. You, you left out that he visits, he visits where he grew up and overthrows the, the, the entire Time Lord government, but <laughs> this but that's is true. That's just par this... for the course when you're <laughs> yeah. Gallifrey, though, you know? And he does that in about five, what, five, ten minutes? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's true. It, it's uh, this is I, so. Let's start with uh, Gallifrey then. Um, moving on from from Nevada for a minute, we will return there. Uh, how, how did you all feel about the the resolution? This is the first time we've spent re- really some quality time on Gallifrey in the in the new series, picking up from these threads that have been out there all the time war stories, and of course in the end of time and and uh, and in the fiftieth special. So. Um, here we see an extended amount of time. We see the the barn again, and uh, at which we've seen in Listen and in the in the fiftieth. We have uh, we have the the High Council. We have a, a new a new Rassilon again. But you know it's Time Lords, whatever. And uh, and how do you think they handled Gallifrey? Because they actually had to show us more than just some flashbacks or brief moments of Gallifrey. Liz, what did you oh. think? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was everything that I wanted. I've since, oh God, I can't even, it's so, so much of this episode is kind of, it's very appallingly emotional for me in different ways. And this is one of the things that from the very start of New Who, as soon as he started hinting about a war and then it finally got revealed last the Time Lords, I couldn't stand it. I hated Gallifrey Goes Boom. They'd already destroyed Gallifrey in the books at this point and when I found out that I was devastated. And then for them to take that in the new series and okay actually do it better and well and I understand why they do it and I understand why it worked and all that but I couldn't stand it because I love Gallifrey and to me the Doctor has always been a rebel running away from these authoritarian ivory-towered intellects who are rusting away and to have that change to him being last of his kind it's like dude you're not superman no 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 no. it was so upsetting and then so i wanted it back i wanted it a whole planet and i wanted them to be back properly with their little capes and their skull caps and their giant ridiculous collars and all the floof and thing and just seeing it there and seeing them be so time lordy in the way that i expect time lords to act and for them to be just so useless and so baffled by the doctor and for moffat to essentially put uh, 1980s Gallifrey episode and sort of put it down into five minutes and there's pretty much the same things happen mm. except there it takes 90 minutes and here he does it in the course of you know a tiny bit of the first act it was just it was amazing and it was not what at all I was expecting because I was expecting so much more focus and so I, I feel like I kind of like it was I felt a little deflated I think and uh, um, looking back and kind of like we don't get much of Gallifrey but then what else is there to really say about Gallifrey and the stuff we got down at the bottom of the citadel in the cloisters that was that was just superb very good very happy this is the doctor resolving one of the questions was how do, how do you resolve the the end of time that Gallifrey coming back is fine, but end of time very clearly portrays essentially the criminals who were going to uh, destroy yeah. the universe in order to win the time war. And you well, have th- to deal with that. I think we got that. Yes. Because we got the, we got, this is, this Rassilon here, I th- assume that um, the master as John Sim did kill him at some point when he was shooting them back into the mm-hmm. thingy. And he did regenerate. And at some point, the master got away and regenerated into Michelle Gomez. And then the doctor here is still pissed off at Rassilon and pissed off at the High Council. And he's, yeah, and we got we got enough resolution there, but it wasn't, it wasn't dwelled upon because that wasn't what the story was actually about, which is kind of wonderful, even though, you know, I, I really would have been very happy with more Gallifrey, but, but I'm happy with what we got. And the doctor has enough credibility 
And I mean, he, he essentially, like I say, he's a war hero. He essentially not only does he have everybody who remembers fighting with him as the war doctor, but yeah. he's the one who ends up saving them. And, yeah. and so he seems and plus to have he, ha- he, he does have a track record right. for turning up on Gallifrey and overthrowing the current system. And so. so there doesn't need to be a plot where he gets rid of the high council. He literally just says, <laughs> you are going to all leave now. No, no, no. They take they 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 take care of it, and yeah. uh, and that that is that is really disciplined on Stephen Moffat's part. You know, I really I really like that. I was a little less happy with the fact my nerd brain did not respond well to. Okay, how did the how did Gallifrey go from being time locked away somewhere to being at the end of the universe? Let them not. They can explain it if they want to, or maybe they don't because it'll make them feel clever. You know, yeah. basically, basically, Stephen Moffat think- said, "You don't need to know that." Yeah, they got out. <laughs> well, you don't because any explanation that was given is obviously we're not going to understand it because we don't know how to move something frozen in time to unlock it. It's not going to make any sense to us. I do like so that they're just- hiding at the end of yes, the universe. Uh, yes, it suggested that they had gone there deliberately. Yeah. I, I I agree, but uh, there's there's a little bit of there's a little bit of drama that's retroactively taken away by they are locked away and you can never get them again, and then they got out, but you don't need to know how. Um, it's it, it's sort of the opposite of what happened with uh, with Missy, um, as you know she she tells us at the in the first episode that uh, you know I I got away. It's what I do. But then in the second episode, we actually get the explanation, and it turns out to be kind of clever and kind of relevant to mm. the plot of the story. So that, that, that's just my little niggle there, that it actually felt a little anticlimactic, since I don't have the same love for Gallifrey that Liz does. You know, it felt I needed the dots to be connected just to feel a little more satisfied. Well, the Time Lords are, are, are powerful. And I mean, when, when they grant him regenerations because Clara whispers into the crack, right, on Trenzalore, that's sort of like, uh, I mean, that was an open question, too. It's like, well, how are they responding to requests, right? And, and the answer seems to be they weren't, they weren't frozen in time. Something happened and they were able to do, because they're the Time Lords, they were able to do something. Perhaps it was connected to the Master and the, who knows. But again, untold story. And, 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 and there is... Um, I, I would say there's a there's a discipline and also a delight in Stephen Moffat saying I don't need to answer all the questions because that's part of what being a Doctor Who fan is is leaving loose threads that people can imagine and he does seem to uh, delight I think in in leaving some of those threads there just the empty spaces that you can color in yourself. The thing. Uh, that I enjoyed at the beginning was basically we have the doctor not really saying very much for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. After the episode where he, he does all the talking in this episode, he doesn't say anything for about 10 minutes. So so he's, he, he draws his line in the sand and we have a a Gallifrey in standoff. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, I, I really like that. And the thing that made me laugh was I, I looked on Gallifrey base just after the episode. Aired. Oh, never do that. <laughs> and and the, the first question that I read was somebody saying, Paul, what was the doctor's soup? <laughs> and I thought that just summed up. Um, it looks like, it looked, a, it looked it like a, 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 a sort of a Gallifreyan tomato. I was yeah. Thinking. 
but uh, I'm surprised there wasn't a, a grilled cheese sandwich with it. But perhaps that it's his comfort mm. food is what it is at the barn. Uh, so let's um let's talk to, talk about that that set of uh, scenes there because I think one of the questions that that we've had and and, and that there's been speculation about all along is Gallifrey, uh, Gallifrey and society. And here we get uh, what what's been hinted at before um, this this barn that that the war doctor doctor comes to, and we saw that in Listen. This is a place that he was as a child. Um, we there there is a woman here who says the boys are you know it's this is for the boys and then she recognizes him um we also get the the like sort of the townspeople in their hats outside and the and the, uh, the line hats are important and the and the lines from um so they all like hats they may not have the funny collars but they all they all wear hats but there's also that line about he's out in the drylands where there's nobody who matters so this is the gallifreyan like class structure the doctor is from a place that is these drylands where nobody matters that that and we get to see it and we get to see there are people who live out there and they're sort of they're his people and and they're protecting him by standing around him when the spaceship comes to, to blow him away wasn't there a line later on about him being highborn or something like that yeah, but he ends up out there. I think that right. I think again, it's kind of an open question that that he he certainly ends up as a time lord. And the line in listen is something about like he's never going to go to the academy. Um, mm. So I'm unclear on all the Gallifreyan society, but I like that we didn't immediately go. Uh, if we if we do flash back to those classic series episodes, we don't immediately go to the halls and the organ music and the big uh, collars and say that this is what Gallifrey is. We do get what ha- what's happening outside the dome and that there are people out there, and we've seen glimpses of that before. But I I, I thought that was interesting that this is where the Doctor goes. He goes home basically. Yeah. This is um this this to me was is. I appreciated this so much more in retrospect by the end of the episode because so much of this episode for me was talking about who the Doctor is. And here we have a very uh, great uh, great symbol uh, talk about his, of his philosophy is that he is the Time Lord and the Capital thing. But he rejects that birthright. He turns away from it to go out into the world with the people and joins them and he'll put himself between them and danger and that's just just seeing that there and it sort of ties into some of the classic who stuff as well when he talks about how he'd used to go go outside run away explore etc it's all it's yeah that was nice who is that who is that woman i would say that was his adoptive mother hmm. that would be my guess his real mother uh, is Glaswegian and human, obviously. Mm. <laughs> well, okay. I would, so, so after the after the no, go ahead, Chip. Go ahead. I'll, I'll no, bring, I would, I'll bring I would, up Paul McGann later. <laughs> I, I, I would just. I don't think that it's necessarily his adopted mom. I prefer if she's just somebody in the community who knows him. Um, I, I, I like that ambiguity. Oh gosh, yeah, no, I love, I love that it's. That's just my pasted on thing. There, I, I absolutely mm-hmm. adore that yeah basically it's who it wants you to be you can see it's oh it's a bit like there's this moment in the uh in in the the war games second doctor episode where the doctor sees another time lord it's the first time it's ever happened in the series and they look they give each other as they recognize what the other one is and you don't get ever get what the relationship exactly is but you can so paste different things onto it from continuity just uh, yeah i really like that i like it when time lords recognize each other and but you don't and you get to decide for yourself what their relationship is the uh so the line we we mentioned last week especially in the next time trailer the uh the hybrid and the questions that the hybrid 
uh, might bring, including the idea of the line from the, the TV movie that I'm half human on my mother's side, which nobody wants to talk about and is radioactive <laughs> and is directly addressed here in a non-definitive way, which I find, again, this is one of those Stephen Moffat things, completely fantastic, where where literally me says, says maybe it's you. Why do you keep going to Earth? Um, and his response is, that's your best theory? <laughs> I ran away from myself. It doesn't make any sense. And she says, it makes perfect sense. And then it's never addressed. And it's, he's, he, well, he asks the question, does it matter? Yeah, is it does, true? It does it matter? matter? Does it matter either way? Does it make any difference to what we think of the Doctor or him or the show? And the answer, of course, is yes, of course it bloody well matters. You're not half human. That is a ridiculous thing. But, ah. but for the people who do think that the, it should be a different way, then they can have their cake and then we can never talk about it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying, Liz, is yeah. that it's awful, but it was pleasant of Moffat to bring it up. Sort of. I'm sort of saying that. <laughs> well, it's, you know, again, so that puts a shielder in the, in, the, in the case of the Doctor Who fans who want to ask that question. And having it directly addressed and not answered is, yeah, that is, the, I, I, that is kind of fantastic. And, you know, everything Moffat does, I think, on Doctor Who now has this element of him knowing as a fan how things get read and, and how things can be addressed. And, and that's a part of this, too, is the, you know, asking us all, does it matter? And you know, yeah, I and think, do you think that's a good question? <laughs> it's not. It's not just that it's magic. There's there's quite a lot of he does a lot of myth building mm. about the background of the Doctor, but he does it in such a careful way that nothing is ever pinned down, and yet it adds layers onto it. I mean, the questions that he was getting asked last week that one might assume had some bearing, uh, some more major bearing than that's what the president wanted to find out. And the president's off in the first five minutes of this, this episode. They don't, in the end, they don't really matter because we, we don't even get a definite um, fix on who the hybrid is. It could right. be any one of a number of different things. We can mm-hmm. decide that. And it's all based or on two. this prophecy. And it's just, yeah, exactly. And it's just, oh, I just, and we get that hint of, well, the reason for him really leaving Gallifrey was this thing, but it's never pinned down to actually any one definite reason. We just get suggestions of what it might be and that it wasn't just what we thought. There was something more, but the something more is never given a definitive answer. I think that's that's wonderful. That's the way to build Doctor Who mythos. Don't ever give certain answers about anything. Last week... Go ahead, Jim. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, in terms of... uh, Stephen Moffat doing things deliberately. We had um, the scene where the the general regenerates mm. and we got uh, an explicit on-screen male to female regeneration just to show uh, that it it was it could happen. Male um, to female and change of ethnicity, yeah. And well, in, I thought, and I in thought fact she says she says she mostly is female, but that one was male and she doesn't understand how you 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 guys do it which is which is also kind of funny but it also suggests that perhaps time lords have a have a gender preference but they don't stick to it all the time so it's all written in there right yeah and i, I thought based... they sorry i don't was gonna say I, th- I thought what they did was they they shot that so that first of all you got um the the general regenerating into possibly a, a black man and then turns around and it's a black woman yeah. and it seemed to be Stephen Moffat sort of um, thumbing his two fingers at anybody who would have a problem with any of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, he's, which he's done before with, uh, with River Song, but still, um, in, terms, in terms of ethnicity. But yeah, yeah I, 
Um, I can't say that I was thrilled about the notion of the doctor shooting another Time Lord, but yes. I, I have a That's... big on my pad. It just says "gun!" exclamation. Oh my goodness! Every single doctor has picked up a gun and fired a gun. He has designed guns for other people. The last time, well, sorry, the first time he decided to overthrow Gallifrey. Sorry, take that back. The second time he overthrew <laughs> Gallifrey in society, he deliberately built the super weapon gun and had them start shooting it at people. For goodness' sake, yeah. the DMAC gun. It's it's there's. Uh, <laughs> That's just a niggle with me, the idea that the Doctor never uses weapons or never uses guns. He uses them all the time. And he does ask before uh, before he shoots if how many re- regenerations that the, the he has yes. left. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we, we you know. And I'm and okay. He's, he's at the end of his rope, but he's, yeah, also not, he's also checking to make sure this isn't he, sort of a final. And, and, and good on him. But that is one area that I wish the show, that is one line that I wish the show hadn't crossed, which is mm. the Doctor pointing the gun at a humanoid a human-ish person not a not a robot not davros or anything like that and shooting him in the chest that's just that's just a line um that is very but uncomfortable to you, me david tennant did that take that chip. he didn't he didn't pull the trigger i'm pretty sure he was shooting something at some point they all have shotguns but he 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 does say that regenerations like man flu or something or dying yeah. like man flu. Yeah, I mean they're 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 but but it it is trying to offset the the act, but also it's uh, one of the it is meant to show us just how desperate he is because this is the doctor yeah. pushed to the limit. He has he has done everything he can and is making bad decisions because he wants to save Clara and he doesn't care about anything else. I wanted to mention speaking of the meta meta Moffat business um, last week's line that was perfect was i've run out of corridor right uh-huh. yeah, this, yeah this this week's line um is at the diner as we cut back to the diner in the middle of the story and, and uh and clara says you like a cliffhanger don't you yeah same <laughs> yeah same thing damn it Stephen moffat <laughs> oh um, you know we, we love him and we hate him when he tweaks us so directly you know um uh, one of our one of our one of my friends in podcasting calls him calls him a troll and he is he is yeah. kind of a troll he he likes i mean he's a fan he knows what he knows what how we how we think and he wants to uh leave things for for the fans who think think like that um i liked uh i wanted to mention too while we're talking about gallifrey and stuff the uh the scene where the soldiers refuse to shoot him or shoot the door what did that door ever do to them and um <laughs> and uh is the firing squad afraid of the unarmed man is the question from from the president and i like that there was the singing in the time war that the doctor of war goes unarmed which i thought was really interesting that this is giving us a little bit of uh more uh more information a little more color on uh on the war doctor and how he's viewed by uh by the soldiers of gallifrey because this is the you know, again, a little corner of uh, the the Doctor Who mythos that we haven't seen more, for more than a few minutes. Um, you know, we we saw actually the progression really made me laugh. Um, the Doctor is out in the in the drylands, right? And then he's surrounded by regular people. Then he's surrounded by soldiers. Then he's surrounded by Time Lords, <laughs> and finally he's confronted by the President. And all the mm-hmm. time he's just waiting. We're like, who's next? And all the strata of Time Lord society appear before he gets who he wants, which is the president. 
That oh. was, I thought that was pretty great. It was. Um, uh, yep. Peter Capaldi is such a phenomenal actor, and he does so much with no dialogue. Yeah, um, yeah. He has been it, he has been so generous this year. Um, he hasn't felt the need to say, it, you know. Well, obviously, it's not scripted, but you know, he he works so hard when he has no lines to give. He works so hard to react to other characters. Um, you know, it's it's he 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 genuinely is uh, one of the greatest actors ever in the role. And this is the last few have just been a tour de force mm. for him. Yeah, I feel like these are these are episodes written uh, by Stephen Moffat, knowing it, unlike last season, where I think they were adjusting as they went, because you never really know, even if you know it's going to be Peter Capaldi. Um, this the, these are episodes written by somebody who's who knows exactly what Peter Capaldi can do as the Doctor. These last two episodes, this is somebody who knows exactly what he's capable of and is going to give him his best material. I think. Uh, what did, what did everybody think? Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the, the, the diner and, and Clara's story in general, at least up until the, the sort of twisty, twisty part at the end. (laughs) Um, I thought, I thought revisiting the diner was a strange decision, um, because it is recognizably the same diner, although... (laughs) In the, in I think the, I think it might be a money same decision because yeah. it's the oh, one diner totally. they've got. <laughs> well, it's so exactly the same. I mean, they could have they could have picked any location for that. That didn't need to be an American diner, right? It could have been a, a, something more generic. It could have been a, a different dressed restaurant, uh, but instead, it's the same diner. And the, and maybe you know they said, well, look, we've got the American diner, but we used that before. And Stephen Moffat said, no, no, that's perfect. I'll put that in the script, and it'll it'll totally work. It could be that simple. But I think it's interesting that they decided that way. But Clara as the waitress, obviously, we get this very nice, um, very nice twist from Stephen Moffat's part, where we assume what we're seeing is the Doctor either remembering Clara, or as we go, then we think that it's the Doctor uh, with a mind wiped Clara. And it's only at the very end that we start to realize, no, this is the Doctor not understanding who he's talking to, which is a oh, really amazing progression. I feel bad now because I didn't think any of those two thi- things. No? What did you <laughs> think? I thought it was a splinter, Clara. Oh, That's I did think that too. That he'd I did, gone and bumped into I did think that <laughs> too. That was exactly my thought too. And yeah, I yeah. thought that was a possibility. No, as that was becoming clear, I was – I had I had for most of it very mixed feelings about what was going on. Um, because, well, Face the Raven was magnificent television. And so anything that felt like it was undermining that. And, you know, they'd, they'd gone flat out for the big death scene there. Yeah. But um, I, ser- I think I think with the way it fell out um, and this, the way that we get the, the, the doctor addressing one of the companion departures that I found most appalling for numerous reasons that have been gone over for goodness knows how many times by thousands of different fans. But to see that, um, to see that addressed so directly and for it to be this even chance of, well, one of them has to go, one of them has to forget. And why shouldn't it be the doctor who forgets? And um, I I think what, 
what made it work for me was that Clara hasn't escaped her fate. She's no. still, she's on the run. She still doesn't have a heartbeat. She's holding off death, but eventually she's going to have to go back. You know, she's not going to grow old and have a family and live out a happy life anywhere. Eventually she has to go back. Um, but but I think what made it work was those, those, oh God, I can't, the last scene of her in the TARDIS flying away with her me. TARDIS. Fur yeah. TARDIS. I cannot explain how that felt seeing it. I didn't even realize how I would react because it was it was the sight. It was just seeing the two women there, knowing that one was well, they're both in different ways reflections of the Doctor, and seeing them just essentially setting off on their own spin-off mm. series like that, and just it was just. God, because when I was growing up, what I'd imagine was I didn't particularly want to be a doctor, companion of the Doctor. I would have my own TARDIS. That was what it was in my head. I was like <laughs> Romana at the in, in Warrior's Gate. And just seeing it on screen was amazing. It, it so, felt so good. Do we think that we're ever going to see them again? I would say no, but... I, the- think, I think it might be possible in non-television media. Right. Mm. Sure. Sure, that's Maybe. a that's a great idea. That big some big Finnish audios of or, uh, or comics or that, comics that would be a great opening for comics. I would love to. That would you know get me actually buying Doctor Who mm-hmm. comics. Probably. I mean, my feel my feeling is that it's like a bit like River Song. Of course, it, where where she's probably done. But then if she shows up at the Christmas special, let's say you don't be too surprised. But it would seem like like with uh, like with uh, Madame Vastra and Jenny and Strax that perhaps you know it's not. It's not in the plan, and and after a few years, it'll be impossible because they will, you know, they will age. Maisie Williams is going to not look like that very soon, and yeah. even Jenna Coleman will not look like that for very long. I'm yeah, sure not wanting, not wanting to jump too far ahead, but the thing that got me was so the doctor's had his mind wiped, so he doesn't know what she looks like, but surely he should realize after seeing her picture of her drawn on the side of his TARDIS that that was probably her that he was talking right. to. Yes. So now he knows what she looks like. So, yeah. And he knows pretty much the whole story because he just told it to Clara. So, you know. But he doesn't have the same feelings, the same drive to go there because he doesn't, he might know what happened, but he doesn't feel it, you know? That, yeah, that's okay. what I got out of it. It, it yeah. just seemed that, that they'd gone through quite a long, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't clear what they had benefited by wiping his memory, but he wouldn't, because he still seemed to uh, be telling the story as if he, you know, he he had feelings for this person. Well, so. I think it's I think it's all about attachment. Um, the story, uh, the story of Clara last last season, series uh, was all about her getting too addicted to the TARDIS lifestyle. And then um, the subtext all this year was um, how attached, too attached, uh, the Doctor and Clara had become to each other and to what they were doing. Um, he's gone through this. He's gone through this experience now with the mind wipe and reading the books. He's done exactly what a shielder did. Um, he has forgotten. He's read the stories. He's distanced himself, right. but he remembers. Mm. And mm-hmm. and and that's and in the end, as as he says, you know, he, he he almost he almost broke the universe because he wanted to save Clara. In the end, he has become less attached for his own good, but he still, but 
through through reconstructing the stories, he still remembers her. He now knows he now knows what she looked like because he saw Riggsy's painting on the thing. Mm-hmm. It's 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 extremely elegant. And um one thing that I noticed to my utter surprise, there was very there were several um different arrangements of the Tenth Doctor's theme in this yeah, episode. I was I was yeah. gonna bring that up. We get the well, is it it's not really the Tenth Doctor's well, it's, theme it's, it's, though. It's, it's the tenth and ninth. It's, it's the it's Chancellor the, Flavia Time Lord yeah. theme, basically, it's, as it, Russell T. Davis always called it. Yeah, it, it, it's the R T D Doctor. But we haven't heard it's it R- in a very long time, no. since the end of time, basically. No, and no, and I wanna I wanna I wanna go back to um what uh, Liz said about revisiting um, the the Donna Noble uh, thing, mm-hmm. um, which is directly referenced because he says directly this, happen- this says, has happened I've done before. This, I've done this before, and this doctor would have done it again if uh, Clara hadn't called him on it. And in a way, as much as a lot of fans um, really hate um that what what RTD di- did back then uh, in taking Donna Noble's agency away from her um i thought at the time and i think it's reinforced based on this episode that it was still a very doctorish thing that the doctor would have done you know i'm going to save your life and your your opinion doesn't oh, doesn't gosh, ma- no, d- doesn't matter no, in no. I uh, can't agree with that at all. I think that's. I think it was. I, I think when, the, when it comes to Scott Doctor's characterization, that was that was that was quite the low point there. And when it comes to sort of, I think that you could see him thinking that that was the right thing to do. But the the flavor of Doctor Who is a show should never have allowed it to go through with it because it was just such an abuse of another character. And it should have, seeing it here with the woman actually, you know, actually saying, no, actually, this decision is not yours to make. That was what, it, that was what should have happened. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that we got to see that here. And I'm glad that it was addressed. That, that, I can't, I mean, I can't watch that scene because it's just, it's just too unpleasant. It's, yeah. Um, well, I, I, think, I have a, I, I, I have a different reaction to it, but I do think that this episode is in dialogue with that episode, yes. very, yeah. very uh-huh. explicitly, very directly, and it's. I I think I think the I, I think it makes the tenth Doctor's actions understandable. I think the twelfth Doctor is very much the same character, but a different a different solution a different solution is found, and it's a more elegant one. And it preserves Clara's agency, which is, I think we'd all agree, is just kind of nice. Yes. But it it preserves her agency, but it did come down to a sort of 50-50 toss of the coin. Mm. But she agreed agreed to that. She she was aware of the bet. So whereas Mm. Donna was forced into it with her, oh God, I'm sorry, I just thinking about it, with her protesting Mm -hmm. all the way, which was a completely different tone. Of things, yeah. Well, Clara, Clara is given the opportunity to choose death over forgetting the Doctor, and and makes that eloquent case, which is the case mm-hmm. that Donna is never allowed to make. But but I do agree um, that it's the same man making these decisions because the the the, the current Doctor's uh, in, initial thought is to do the same thing, right? It, that's his like. And and then he is stopped from doing that and realizes that he needs to not do that. But it, it, his his initial thought is very much the same as with Donna, and it just doesn't play out that way. 
yeah. which, which is which is good. Um, you mentioned music. Not only is there the Chancellor Flavia Time Lord music that we haven't heard since the end of time, which I, I was very happy to see back. We've heard that a lot uh, in the first, uh, especially the first couple seasons of the of the of the new series. But um, but the uh, the thing that really got me is that when Peter Capaldi sits down at the at the bar at the American Diner, he plays the Clara theme on his guitar and then that comes back later and he and, and she asks him what it's called and he says i think it's called clara and uh that that really from the moment that really got me like i love i love the fact that murray gold's score and the recognizable theme of one of one of the characters ends up being part of the story and directly addressed in the story i think that was really amazing has there ever been liked- a more meta series of doctor who <laughs> <laughs> i liked that the as he came into the diner, the music that was playing was "Who's Sorry Now." Was it? Ah. Yeah. Was it? No, it was. Uh, uh, no, it wasn't. It was. It was the. It? No, it was the Queen. Uh, it was the "Don't Stop Me Now" cover of Queen that we heard on Mummy on no, the Radio that's Express. Right. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and it's the same. I think it's the same actual recording of that but but it was the one that was being played on the on the train in Mummy on the Orient Express. It's well, the swing. This is what I get for watching on an iPad. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> no, it was. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was the it was the swing version of "Don't Stop Me Now" by Queen that we've heard before uh, in mm. their adventures together. And in fact, the, again, dire- directly referenced later, where he says there was an ice warrior on a submarine and a mummy on mm. the Orient Express. And I can remember that, but I can't remember her smile or her laugh, which is very sad, but also kind of frames what you know what has happened. It's not that he doesn't remember; it's that he doesn't have any of the details of her. I loved that we also we got that we got that that was in conversation a bit with the with the Shilder and her diaries, and we still got the sense that she remembered and valued the friendships that she read about there, and that was kind of foreshadowing what was yeah. happening here, which I thought was oh, it really is lovely. Yeah, they did a good job with keeping. I mean, I I stayed spoiler free on this season largely, mm. but mm-hmm. but um, yeah. I thought that the way even even the way they parceled out the information, Maisie Williams was sold to us as being in a two parter. And yes. it was a surprise when she re- recurred for the third time, and honestly, a surprise that she recurred for the fourth time. And I thought that that was a good bit of of uh, of of with of of selectively releasing information that we knew she was in the series, but we didn't quite know how much. And I thought that was a very very well done uh, because I I didn't I expected the two parts to be her her thing, and then she'd go back yeah. to Game of Thrones for her. I thought she was particularly episode. good in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she played played the having been around for you know the the length of the universe pretty well yeah mm-hmm. i was getting vibes of um white guardianism there with the chairs and the mm-hmm. setup and the, having the polite conversation with the doctor before i threaten you terrible except she didn't but it was still yeah i hope i really hope we get her back i i agree i would like to see her again i i saw a line from stephen moffat in an interview leading up to this week where he said when we first saw her she was a girl and then we saw her and she was coming into her own and the third time we saw her she was basically a peer of the doctor and now Mm. when we see her she's um she's wiser and older than the doctor and so we've seen her sort of like go from all the way from the start to the end of of lapping him a little bit and it's you know a little like captain jack you go to the end of the universe and then somebody takes you back in time and you can do it again and live yeah, is, just, she, is, she, is she going to get all big-faced and tentacly in the end i'm just wondering oh, 
How do the you universe think the hasn't got that much, hasn't got enough time left for yeah. that. <laughs> She's still okay then. Um, but I love that aspect of the series as well, that there have been so many reflections of the Doctor mm. and they've all been women as well. We've had Missy, we've got Clara and we've got a Shilder and they've all been, oh, they're all just so different mm-hmm. and so good and such good characters. And having that equivalentish power to the doctor it's been so nice it's almost uh this is i it just occurred to me uh whole essays will be written about this in in future books about doctor who um that i wonder if this if this story is also and and the whole uh with missy and a shoulder and clara if if it's almost a comment um purposeful or not on the um on the the stolen earth um suggestion by davros that the doctor creates weapons and soldiers and 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 they do the fighting for him because Ugh. what we've what we've seen this season is um what the doctor does is he creates the doctor he creates people yes. who want to be him and do what he does not to do the dirty work he can't do and that and or that, people that's... who become inspired he acts as a catalyst for people to grow right. and to become more uh, uh, god help me to level up <laughs> I really hate using an expression like that, but that—that's what mm-hmm. it feels like. I think. I think it's just—it's just another one on this. This is, as as you may or may not realize from you know my doctor opinions, I adore Moffat Who madly. I mm. think it's it's brilliant. This is this is Who that is made for me, and so many of the things in it I can point to. The it's it's like he got hold of the list that I made of everything that irritated me about <laughs> New Who. And then he was like, okay, right, I'll just go fix all that for you over the next five or six years. I'll be fine. Um, and that was that was another thing that was here, the idea that the doctor creates weapons. It's like, no, 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 that's that's horrible. Why would you say that? That's that's not what happened. Did you not watch Classic? Did you not see the lovely adventure time? And then it's like, no, no, here here, here we go. Have have characters who aren't weapons, it's fine. And that was how. <sighs> I am doing. I am doing my best not to derail a conversation. <laughs> I know. I'm I feel. An, uh, I feel really bad about it. About saying this because I. I know that you. You love RTD. Who that's your who. So I feel. I feel kind of like really bad touching on that aspect of things here. That a part of the delight for me is that I'm getting. I'm getting rewrites of stuff that really upset me quite a few years ago. <laughs> where, and, yeah, and it's no, yeah. Whereas, and and I won't belabor the point, Jason. But uh, whereas, I I really like this season and this episode because I feel like I don't feel like it's rewriting the RTD stuff that I loved. I feel like it's, it's not, in dialogue it's quite, with it. E- and, yes, well, that that's that's more more. Yes, more more of that. Sometimes they yeah. rewrite stuff, but but here it does. Yeah, yeah it was more di- in dialogue. But in a dialogue, but, like I feel like half the argument was happening there, and this is the half with the side that I'd be on. So that <laughs> sure. But it, it's a it's a counterpoint in a way. Yes, and, and it um, is. And I think I think one I I love uh, I love the David Tennant era, and I, I I actually have really enjoyed the Peter Capaldi era. I have no. I have no no dog in this hunt. I, I will say I like that the, it's a conversation that's going on in the text of the of the series, and that that Do- Doctor Who is big enough to withstand that kind of conversation about fundamental aspects of the show. I think that is mm. is pretty great. And uh, as much as I love, I didn't love the end of time, but as much as I loved a lot of uh, of the RTD era, I think it's interesting to see that counterpoint to see what if what if the argument. And again, it's not Russell Davis necessarily making the argument, but Davros making the argument. But here. Here's the counter argument, which is the doctor's actually inspiring people to be better to the point where at the end of this episode, two of these women that he's been 
talking to for a long time have essentially become him stolen a TARDIS and are off on their own adventures, right? He's created yeah. himself. Imagine, uh, imagine a TARDIS with and, two doctors and, in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and literally, I, I, I've got, this is, this is really important that this, ep- and this comes back to what Liz was just saying, that mm. um, this episode is the culmination of Clara's story. And the Clara story is the story of the companion who became the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. I get it. Literally. I'm getting that. And yes, and that that and that kind of is why I don't really feel cheated that we actually get her having the doctor's story that she is running away with Tart and it's just oh you can't see my hands, but they are flapping off a bit <laughs> at the moment. She has, she, has, she has a TARDIS. She has a companion. The TARDIS is stuck in a stupid form because they can't figure out the chameleon, chameleon circuit. She, she, has, she has become the Doctor with the, with, the small, with the small but critical difference that she knows she can't do it forever and she has to go back to Gallifrey to die. Well, and her her partner is also an immortal who is as much the doctor, I would say, as she is. That's the that's an interesting difference there too. James, you were going to say something? No, I was just going to say in terms of fundamentals, um, there was the line when they were down in the sort of Matrix basement about mm. him having run off with the president's daughter. Yes. Yes, uh, and it wasn't the president's was, wife; it was the president's daughter. They got that part wrong. He says, "Yes," and I and my brain immediately said, "Was that Susan?" Well, interesting. Who who would therefore the president or, would be the doctor's son or daughter, or married to the doctor's son or daughter because Susan was definitely canonically his granddaughter. His granddaughter. Right. Don't be fooled by anyone who tells you otherwise. They're trying to trick you. <laughs> or, or was it, or was the president's daughter Susan's mother? That's the other yes. the other question, yeah. but yes. but it's it's yet another bit strand of it's more information that doesn't tell us anything and just gives us mm. more to chew on, which I think is really great. And also, by the way, also not accurate. He didn't he didn't um what was it? He didn't steal the moon. He just lost it. Yeah, I think he says <laughs> <laughs> like I just lost it. It's like it's it's, it's not. It's not. It's out there oh, somewhere. It is sad. Oh, yeah. Forevermore, all references in Doctor Who to moons are just going to make me want to say, it's not an egg! As yeah, kind it's of not an egg. Of, 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 <laughs> of, of, of response Yes, now. I was going to say, well, at least he didn't kill the moon. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Wait, wait, we completely forgot that the whole reason that all of this happened is because the Master had a plot to destroy the universe. Yes, so so th- this has been a thing that has happened since the first introduction of of uh, of, of of real Clara in the Bells of Saint John, which is that Missy gave Missy has been connecting them uh, over and over again and keeping them connected, and here is the payoff of that, which is essentially the Doctor she wanted to create. Uh, uh, this bond where th- theoretically the doctor would do anything to save her and and le- lead to the end of the earth and the unraveling of things but it's not like a a super master plan of the master it's more like um that she thinks this will lead to interesting directions and so she wa- she wanted to do it but i like that moment where we paused and said who put this together oh it was missy who did this but, yeah, I, I mean, there was she, no I, evidence that she was doing it for to destroy the universe or yeah, something Yeah, I think like she that. was just doing it because she, like, met Clara once and was like, I really like this girl. Mm. You know, she could really get along with my friend, my best friend. I should stick them together. They'll have great times. It'll be fun. Maybe I can join up sometimes. Yeah. That, that, that's probably what happened. A little mischief making. 
Yeah, but but friendly mischief making. Like when he sends um killer daffodil flowers. You know, it doesn't mean he actually wants to kill the doctor. It's just a little hello. I'm on Earth. How you doing? <laughs> Have some flowers. It's lovely. It's lovely. Oh, can I talk about one aspect that I haven't touched upon yet, but was absolutely magnificent and gorgeous and beautiful? Yes, I have so many things that we need to talk yes. about. So yes, hopefully this is one of them. Yes, go ahead. I think it, I know what it will be. The go classic on. TARDIS. Yes. Oh, yes. dear God. <laughs> yes, let's talk I about it. I just, my feelings everywhere. I can't. It just, it was <sighs> so, so beautiful. I cannot believe how beautifully they recreated. It's the 60s model and they did so many bits of it just spot on. That sort of big metal light doodah above the console mm-hmm. and the, the, the glass cabinets and... Um, the handle just, on the door. Yeah, and the sound effects mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they were moving around. And it was just... I, I Yeah, no, there, there were definitely parts of this episode where there were... There were Spanish hand movements of flail and things <laughs> and I'm I'm very glad no one saw me because it was just it was just embarrassing so, and this was every moment of that TARDIS every button that they were pressing and poking at and just and I was just mm-hmm. thinking oh my god they've remade it and look like the console's not green it's actually white the console's <laughs> white so when they were Sorry. When they did the uh, Adventure in Space and Time, I kept thinking to myself, they've got to have that in the 50th anniversary episode. Oh, yes. And, hang on, and, of course. And, and, and they did, already... And, and they didn't. <laughs> right? They didn't. Yeah. They didn't do that. They didn't right. do that. And, and then, and so then I saw it here and I went, oh, yes. Is that the Adventure yeah. in Space and Time now, console? I don't now know, I but so I don't think it is. I saw a tweet by Edward Russell, who uh, does public relations type work uh, for the Doctor Who office, and he said it was a scratch build. Wow. So well, I don't think it's supposed to. I, I, I suppose it's supposed to evoke the '60s, uh, the early '60s TARDIS, but it's not. Oh, it's not one to one. It's just really very, damn close. It's a type. There's 50. a very nice um, tweet by uh, Clayton Hickman that's got some of the details side by side, so you can you can have a have a look at the bits. I don't. You're right. I don't know if it's an exact build, but but yeah, certainly the the details. Some of them are. Uh, Wow, it's a it stock, just amazing stock Gallifreyan, no. and, and, and in the and the and the gray capsule that we saw. Yeah, before my heart yeah. leapt. Yeah. My heart just leapt when that gray capsule formed around Clara. <laughs> I was like, that, that 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 is the first. You know, aside from aside from um, the in the name of the Doctor, uh, the Hartnell Doctor and Susan um, stealing the one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the that's the first time that we've seen. Um, uh, an organic TARDIS, uh, uh, organically grown, no processed foods TARDIS um, in action, and I loved it. Yeah, it was so. It made me very happy to see it too. That 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 was that was such a fan moment, and yet also serves the story that this is a this is a a brand new or whatever re- factory refurbished, I guess. Yeah. TARDIS. No, yeah, and that is that is one thing that Moffat is so good at. He he announced, he pre-announced back on um, the old uh, Outpost Gallery Gallifrey Forum, you know, when somebody was asking why RTD was never on social media or on, on the forums the way he was when he was just writing for the show. He hmm. Moffat said that that would that would bring me too close. That would bring him too close to the fans. If I ever if I ever ran the show, I'd do the same thing. When Moffat tosses in fan um, fan service, 
he always does it in a way that will go right over the heads, will not distract yeah. anybody who's never seen the show before. Uh, yeah, this is just a perfect example of that because, I mean, who the heck cares if you're not a fan that this looks just like 60s TARDIS? Yeah, it, doesn't, but, it doesn't matter to them. It's, say, not, it's, it's old TARDIS. It's sort of tardis yeah, or you might it's think it's like an old TARDIS. TARDIS yeah. And it looks, and it's like a plain one as opposed to the Doctor's, you know, homely decorations. And, and yet, you know, to us, it's like, you know, you're staring at the screen making ridiculous noises. And, you know, if anyone was there, they'd be asking, what is wrong with you now? This is very mm-hmm. silly. <laughs> Behave like a normal human being, please. To me, when it appeared, the thing that went through my head just as an iOS ref- reference was it was the sort of flat redesign to anyone who didn't know about the originals. <laughs> yeah, it was an iOS 7 TARDIS. Yeah. You know, got rid of all the skeuomorphism. And uh, it's back to the back to the basic shapes, the round round things. I miss the round things. I love the round things. They, they they've started to get the round things back into the new TARDIS design. But it was nice to go mm. back and see the and and honestly, for a design that was inspired by the '60s Doctor Who uh, design, that 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 white console room, it looked great. Like in HD, modern, you know, even though That's it was because it's a perfect, beautiful design of perfection. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you could argue, like, when they redesigned the Enterprise Bridge for the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, they said, "Well, it's it's sort of like an Apple Store. It's all bright and white and gleaming." And I thought, well. Yeah, because that's sort of the style today. But in that context, the classic Doctor Who console and uh, and set, mm. it's kind of come all the way back around now. It's like that's a that it looks great. <laughs> that that gleaming white uh, console room, it's beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. Yes. Uh, I, I have a couple other uh, sort of random notes here, and if you, and if you think of something, uh, uh, please throw it out there. I wanted to ask about uh, we get the all the cloister bells are ringing. The cloister bell uh, from the TARDIS now in, at Gallifrey, they have a lot of them, and they have a cloister, and the bells ring when bad things are happening. And we mm. and so we have the first off. There's the concept that the Matrix, ha- which we've seen since. Uh, I, I actually really wanted a line where Clara said. Um, you mean like the movie? So the doctor could say, "No, no, no. This predates the, that by by many years." Just because that would have been really funny. Um, but the Matrix is where the Time Lord minds go, and they get uploaded there, and it's like the afterlife for the Time Lords. Okay, that's that's fine. But then they have the Cloister Wraiths, which are like what, like Time Lord ghosts that guard the Matrix, and that was super like creepy and disturbing. Do they? Yeah, you know- I absolutely love how they can what they do sometimes with the Time Lords, mixing the um, brand new well not brand new but the super futuristic technology along with the old-fashioned ridiculousness like you're having ghosts in your computer now no 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 actual ghosts yeah. they're going to be floating around just oh so yeah i, I, I just can't wait the, for the go ahead james sorry go on no i was going to say the 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 wraiths as they moved around i don't know if it's just because i've seen too many uh uh, Star Wars trailers recently, but they sounded like <laughs> TIE fighters. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't wait till I get to the Gallifrey One convention in Los Angeles this February because I know somebody's just going to blow me away with a Cloister Wraith costume. No. With, no. No, I do with not the, want. Is, with no, a, is it thingy With a thingy? screen in front of their faces no. projecting the. Yes. Oh, no. Burr. No, it was bad enough. No, because they honestly freak me out. Some people with their, their costumes are so good like i wouldn't there was there was um people there was the kelly stones of blood sort of um 
moving through with the ogre stones, with the sound effects and the noise and things, and I refused to touch them because I was scared it would actually suck the lifeblood out of me. Well, I thought the cloister ghosts were scary, although I did like the doctor's line when, when Clara says, can you just boil this down for me? And he says, it's ghosts in a crypt guarded by more ghosts. That didn't hurt, did it? It's like, no, that's fine. Yeah. No, he said, um, yes. Yeah, but but the idea that bit. the Matrix uses uses uh, uses the monsters who, who I don't know, fall in. There was the Cloister War line. And we get sort of gratuitous angels, Cybermen, and Idolic saying, exterminate me. So we got the sort of like, oh, it's the final episode of the season. We'll have some of our classic monsters come back. But they're really not there for any good reason other than to yeah, say, Yeah, I was hey, a bit judgy about that because it's like, okay, fine. I guess we can have Daleks there because we know the Daleks have invaded Gallifrey right. a few times. But the Suntarans actually really properly invaded mm. Gallifrey. Where were they? And could you not have had a few of them down there? You know, like going, oh, yeah, mm. what's yeah. that about? And well, I we did that... we on. did have the uh, weeping angels, the line in the end of time about the, the weeping angels of old. And so there's a very clear connection between the weeping angels and Gallifrey. So, mm-hmm. of course, they're down there. And a Cyberman. Yeah, the Cy- like the Cyberman ever got on Gallifrey ever. <laughs> he hitched a ride with... Especially these new who Cybermen. Yeah. God, unbelievable. But so they that, can that fly. broke my suspension of belief. <laughs> I don't care if they can fly. They're, they don't, they're just not good enough. They're not evil, not evil enough. They're just, <laughs> oh, they can get shot down by gold. For goodness Maybe sake. Maybe it was the Brigadier. <gasps> oh my god, the Brigadier <laughs> is trapped in the basement of Gallifrey. <laughs> I don't that's one of those bits of Doctor Who canon I just sort of pretend to happen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's just not speak of it. Um, hey, no, I know hey. the Cyber Brigadier and his flying Cyber Legion protect the Earth at all times when the Doctor is not around. That's a comic book story, Liz. Uh, yeah, that's the comic book story. There we go. And he went Cyber to Brig- Gallifrey and there was a terrible misunderstanding. Oh. And, yeah. So, uh, Sisterhood of Karn, nice to see them again, because I like Night of the Doctor so much. Have no idea why they're in this story. They don't do anything. Don't. They don't say much of anything other than... No, they just grab a big uh, bowl of popcorn and sit One so loves fireworks. You yeah. can see me now by making more hand gestures of, of, of Rarg. My goodness, they don't need a reason to be in this story. Firstly, <laughs> that's good because they don't have one. Shushed you, Achilla is amazing, and I love her. And she I do just too. Be in every Doctor Who story, just being snarking all over the place. Secondly, I think this is really. Um, oh God, there's actually quite. There's actually. I have an essay half planned out on what I want to write about this because the Sisterhood of Karn were. They were. They were very exciting for me when I was we watching them. It was I found them fascinating, and it was smack bang in the middle of Hinchcliffe era. They were actually, hang on, this story has more than one woman. This is what mm-hmm. is this? This is unusual. There's 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 many women in this story. I'm I'm confused. Um, and what Moffat's managed to do in like ten minutes of screen time is sort of fulfil all the promise you kind of hoped they'd had in their original outing, except then you remembered that it's in the Philip Hinchcliffe era. No, 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 no. We can't have women doing anything at all useful. That'd be ridiculous and silly. Um, And yeah, but it's just, and for that moment where she yells at the doctor and calls him boy like Mm. that, that was so good. That hinted at, at something just messed up about their relationship. I mean, I know it's there before, but it's, oh. Yeah, I just she, wanted she, to. She, I just wanted to have her have more to do. Yeah, but, I, if you're, she, but she's there gratuitously. Mm-hmm. There's no good reason for it. She's there. Mm-hmm. I, it kind of. It just. 
it was just draws a, a parallel between the time the time lords of Gallifrey and the sisterhood of Corn. Just her being able to turn up randomly with her sisters and go, "Hi guys, what's happening? Yeah, how you doing?" Whereas that was part of the bit that made me sad about the easy return of Gallifrey, because not only did the Doctor. Uh, not not only did Gallifrey find its way back to the universe in some easy way that we'll never know about, but that the Sisterhood of Karn was easily able to go there as well. But well, but, yeah, of course. But, Karn's Karn's in the same system as Gallifrey, same star system. Not anymore. If, if Gallifrey's at the end of the universe, but be that as it be that as it may, um, it was. I love the actress, and I was glad to have her there, but I agree with Jason that there was no reason for her to be there. Other than that she's great. I will get Other you, than that she's you great. that, That's Liz. completely valid reason. <laughs> um, the My other, goodness. The other, if I, if, sorry. I, I like the, um, so the Rassilon line, we had that, you know, back you go Rassilon from David Tennant, and that was the, oh, I guess that Timothy Dalton is Rassilon and they resurrected him, but it's all over now and we will never know the answer. Here, what we get is a line that is, he's got the spooky glove, first off, that Timothy Dalton had, and he threatens to use it at one point. So there's some end of time business there. And he shouts, I am Rassilon, the Redeemer, the Resurrected, which I, I, you know, I enjoyed that because that, that again, puts it into place that we, we've resurrected Rassilon, the, 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 uh, the original Time Lord, because we need him in Mm. in, in the darkest hour of the, of the time war um and he fancies himself wrestle on the redeemer he's going to i guess redeem the time lords it fits well into this this uh, narrative that I've, I've constructed at least in my own head of how um you know, they, this is the ultimate deal with the devil that the Time Lords make is bringing back Rassilon, who um, who is going to end the end time itself if he needs to in order to win the yeah. war. And he gets but with, it, but with every regeneration, with every ge- regeneration, Rassilon becomes more pitiful. I mean, when we next see him, he's going to be played by Russell Brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is a, he he gets exiled at the end of the universe, so that's a question too. Is to, where does he have to go? Is he going to become a Toclophane or something? I mean, what's what's left out there? There's not a lot out I, there. It was also it was the the almost end of the universe because yeah. they they seem to have parked at you know like thirty minutes from the end of the universe and then go on ahead um, when the the Doctor meets Hashilda later. That's that's clearly some you know right. further point. I know where he's going. He's going to the restaurant. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> Which actually is uh, Clara and a Shielder's TARDIS. Yeah, it could. Oh it, it, my goodness! It could so be. basically, a, so a Shielder is Marvin, and <laughs> well, d- she has waited. I had, in the car park. I had the moment where, um, so they go to the end of the universe and uh, they go further into the end of the universe with Clara, the Doctor, and Clara do. And there's a knock on the door, and for a moment I thought, um, is that uh, Orson Pink? <laughs> knocking on the door because that was supposedly basically at the end of the universe too and uh and there was a a mysterious knock on the door there that we never had uh resolved maybe it was a shielder knocking on on the on the on the door Mm -hmm. there but Uh, we got four knocks as well yes nice four knock reference it's always four knocks it's always it's in like like i said in dialogue um if i've ever had an irrational grump against Stephen Moffat. It's uh, for exactly the reason that Liz said earlier. Uh, that you I've know, never had it seems any like, sort of grump against Stephen Moffat. I, no, 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 no. For, you know, you said that you said that you enjoy the way that Moffat undoes a lot of what Russell T. Davis did. Yes, and that's sort yes. of And that's sort of the, yes. that's sort of the source my of my... 
And that's sort of the source of my, you know, sort of irrational prejudice against Moffat sometimes. And yet, like, you know, the four knocks, again, dialogue. It's not it, it it's not turning your back on or undoing necessarily. It's about dialogue. And I I felt I felt served as a fan of RTD and Stephen Moffat of of David Tennant and Peter Capaldi, I just felt really well served by this episode. Yeah. And that Four Knox line, I mean, we can pretend all we like that the end of time was not an episode that happened, but it totally did. The end of time did happen. <laughs> I have a very specially edited version. It's basically got all the moments where David Tennant and John Sim are interacting. They're all canon. Everything else, mm. not mm. so much. Not so much. But this, this but, season um, and this episode in particular has spent some time detailing uh, certain aspects of that of that era and of the end of time in particular, and saying you know these are these are imp- as well as like the fiftieth anniversary episode, and like, these are all important to the story that that they're telling in in this episode. Yeah, yeah, I like. Uh, I, Jason, how is it that we have been talking about this episode for an hour and we haven't mentioned the name Rachel Talalay once? Oh, I don't know. Mention well, we just did, so that's good. Let's mention Rachel Talalay again. I I think it's interesting. When I saw that she was directing the final two episodes, they were going to be shot as a block. I had the same thought as for a lot of the two part episodes this season, which was going to be that they were, uh, you know, sharing concepts and sets and of a kind. And you and it's and it's not. It's not. So she she had to direct two kind of differently epic episodes back to back. And uh, they're both, I think, very well done. But I like that they're so different from one another. Yeah, I like uh, that she got a... Sorry. There, there was an there was an interview uh, with Moffat this week where he talked about the difference in in tones and, and how much uh, she had to do the gothic horror thing last week. And then he described this episode as... Star Warsy and um, you know full-on science fiction and things like that, and yet this episode was completely other than that. You know, she is the most she's the most inventive director in modern Doctor Who. Hmm. Full stop. I think that she I think that she is the best, and I want her to come back again and again. Yeah, I was under the impression that she was sort of more kind of big actiony pieces things, especially after last year, and it was just you know it, that was. Death in Heaven was just amazing. And then to see her do these two, which are really quite intimate, very character driven. And some of them, especially, I think it was this episode, the opening stuff where there's no dialogue and it's just, you know, the story is told in with so many. I'm not very good at describing direction things, but the camera angles, the things that were going on, the way that it was perfectly clear what was happening when there was no dialogue. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right and up to the very just... end when the camera's fixed to one of the rotating rings on the TARDIS uh, column. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just, it's just, oh, I hope she, I hope they keep bringing her back because she makes the most beautiful episodes and I want to see more of her stuff. Yeah. Please. Thank you, Doctor Who. That's on my list for next year. We know Moffat Thank checks you. your list, so that's good. He it is, it is a bit scary sometimes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he doesn't. But on the other hand, it is a bit freaky how much things, it's just everything, oh, it's weird. But delightful. Don't don't stop now, Doctor Who, keep pandering. I, I, um, asked, for River, I asked for River Song. River Song's back because I said, can we have River Song, please? When Capaldi was cast. Be careful with That's- this power, Liz. Be careful with it. <laughs> James? I do also, 
Um, I was, they obviously read the BBC marketing department list as well because we got the new Sonic right at the end. Yes. That they can yep. sell to people <gasps> just in time for Christmas. I'm so excited about that Sonic. First of all, because of like, is there anybody who liked the sunglasses? Because I love seeing Capaldi in sunglasses, but I hate the Sonic sunglasses. I thought it was fine for an episode or two. Yes. I've decided I'm fine with it being a running joke for season nine. And by the end, it's over. And that's great. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Yeah. I also like that the new Sonic has quite a like Tardisy vibe to it. It's mm-hmm. quite blue in the proper blue color mm-hmm. and it rotates bit. round and round the lights yeah. I'm, I'm glad he's I'm, I'm glad he's finally got a uh screwdriver that uh, mimics the c- uh, console room again because mm. he was holding you know he had the matt smith uh season five tardis set uh right. screwdriver for the longest time and now we finally got something that fits with everything else I had a couple more things that I wanted to uh, mention. The So the hybrid, which is this kind of MacGuffin that drives us. And in the end, there is sort of no resolution about what the hybrid is. And there are a lot, or at least there are lots of ways you can judge it. Um, there is a fun moment where the doctor makes it clear it's all prophecies, not some prophecies, all prophecies. And we know the prophecies are sort of the calculated by the matrix as part of Time Lord defense uh, is that this creature will one day stand in the ruins of Gallifrey, unravel the web of time and and destroy a billion hearts to heal it, I think is the line. And, mm. you know, on one level, a shielder is the hybrid because or 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 some combination of a shielder, Clara and and the doctor are the hybrid because they are the ones who are there at the end of 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 uh, time in the ruins of gallifrey in the in the basement of the matrix um which i also think is kind of interesting because um what does that say about gallifrey i guess not shifting back to uh, some other time gallifrey what time gallifrey is in has always been a mystery and weird and strange but um but just leaving that aside for a moment, I, I I don't know if you have any thoughts about whether what the hybrid is and and why it matters. But I thought it was interesting that we never get that we never get an answer, and I think it could very easily be the Doctor or a Shielder or um, the combination of the Doctor and Clara or the combination of the Doctor and a Shielder or none of the above. It's like I, out there. I think clearly one of them is the hybrid who was, one is the hybrid who is, <laughs> and one is the hybrid who will be. Math, not Zaffir skill. Sorry. Superb. Well done, Chip. You win. That solves it. That answers it. Stephen Moffat should read your, read your notebook more often. Um, I like the line, you cramp my style, look at your hats. Got to make a hat joke. No, I was I was distressed by that. I was as upset by that as <laughs> when the doctor started having a go about sticking the word space in front of stuff. Uh, I was like, oh, you did not. And... It's just, yeah, don't have a go at the hats, don't have a go at the collars, but, and don't have a go at the cloaks. That's all I ask. Well, he's having a go at it because, you know, this is he's a rebel. He, does, he doesn't want to wear their hats. That's why he goes, he goes, uh, he runs away. That's the truth. He, he wants to wear the hats. He just knows that he'd look a bit silly in them. Uh, he, he tried them once, and it was, like, embarrassing. And that's why he really ran away, because he knew that he looked a bit mm. silly in those robes. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly it. And then the only other thing that I had I had bolded here that I wanted to mention in my notes is he very specifically says as he's uh laying down to have his memory erased, um, never eat pears. <laughs> Which is a callback, <laughs> right? To David Tennant, is that not? Oh, it's more than that. Um so never eat pears is Well, I mean, and it's from Paul Cornell's book human nature yes right? it's, and then, it's, it's it's originally from paul cornell's book human nature and uh tenant had that line on the cutting room floor 
for the human for the human nature. It's it's uh, in remount. the if you watch the DVD extra, that's the complete David Tennant uh, message to Martha when he's when he's having his memory erased. Right. It's right. in there, but they didn't they didn't use it in the actual episode. Right. And this afternoon, after the episode aired, Paul Cornell tweeted, "Quote: Never eat pears." Close quote. Hashtag finally. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out the doctor just was really uh, anti-pear, which is a shame because it's the holiday season and it's a perfect time to eat pears. Yeah, and pears are delicious. They are. If he's going to have an irrational hatred towards some fruit, for God's sake, let it be mangoes. (laughs) I think it's just more for him. Tells everybody not to eat pears and then he gets to eat all the pears. That's my okay. That my that is the sort of thing I do because I do tell people don't eat pecan pie. It's horrible. It's Ugh, horrible. Just leave, leave it for me. Pie. I'll take care of it. Yes, I I will put it somewhere safe. Okay, so at the end of this episode, um, we get uh we get the revelation that uh, Clara is knows who the doctor is and the doctor doesn't know who who the, who uh, she is and this is not a dream and they are in this thing and he and he says this diner wasn't always here. I think it was on the other side of the hill and he can't find the TARDIS. Somebody moved it. There's all all of that is going on. There's a line about maybe some memories become songs, which I thought was really nice uh, as he's playing the Clara song. But then the moment is that Clara goes into the into the back toward the bathroom of this diner and it's the it's the white TARDIS interior and she closes the door and we get the we get the the lines between her and a shielder and and the tardis takes off and the whole thing is the tardis so the control room is inside the diner part the whole thing is the tardis and it takes off leaving the doctor there and and um I had a whole bunch of, of thoughts about that. One is it is fantastic to see the diner traveling through space and time because they have a chameleon circuit problem. And that that's great. And we've said that before, but I just want to say that again. That's amazing. Uh, but I also had that moment where I thought, uh, especially since the doctor earlier says, oh, right, I was here with Amy and Rory, stupid doctor, um, that uh, I, I'm now I'm now going back to um, the impossible astronaut and thinking, is this the real diner? Or is that the TARDIS? Hmm. Damn you, Stephen Moffat. I did think it's going to be a lot harder to land that diner somewhere because you can't like put it in a closet you have to or put, anything. It's a vacant lot. Or yeah, you wait. need quite a big area. That's what this is all about. Room. That's what this is all about. This is about making the American spinoff. Ah, uh, oh Macy Williams, Jenna Coleman in. Diner BBC Who. America's Doctor Who. It's Diner Who. Come on. Di- diners, diner dives and uh, something who. Oh, God. You invoked Fieri. Yeah. Well, he's going to be the first companion. Obviously, Guy Fieri will be the first companion on the American Doctor Who that's set in a diner. I but just threw die. up in my mouth and not be resurrected. I'm allowed to American in-jokes about, on a podcast about a British show. <laughs> uh, well, if you don't know who Guy Fieri is, bless you. <laughs> It's more the better this way, uh, and I, I yeah. That's I have a computer. The, I have Google. Uh, that's 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 it for my notes. I mean, uh, anything else we should talk about? I mean, we've been talking for more than an hour about this episode. I had meant to ask. Uh, let's just go there now. Overall feelings right now about how uh, how the season worked as a whole. Jane? I thought very well. Um, I mean, I've I got very tired of Matt Smith, and when Peter Capaldi came back, it was a complete breath of fresh air but that season it was generally good but it had a few uh, up and down moments but i thought this season was significantly better and had some really standout episodes in it um and yeah i mean the the 
the last couple of them uh, have been particularly good. Liz? Um, I I was absolutely shocked at this season and terrified when it started because the last season I thought was absolutely brilliant. And um, and watching last season, I remember thinking, my God, well, when's when's the terrible episode happening? When's the terrible episode happening? Surely, surely. And whilst I didn't feel that any episodes were sort of, oh my God, amazing, like uh, my very, very favourites, it was one of the most consistent series of Doctor Who that I, I could remember. And um, and then when it came back and then suddenly we had, we started off with something that was just pushing all my magic vanish buttons and then they kept going and it was five, six, seven, how many weeks in? It was quite a few. I wasn't... I wasn't so happy for various reasons with the Peter Harness two-parter and aspects of the Gators episode, which was probably the low point of the season. But every mm. other episode was just like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then especially when we got to the this end bit here with Face the Raven, I was like, oh, you know, and suddenly a new competition, new competitor for the best episode of the season. And I, I couldn't believe it. And then again, it happened the last week. And it's just... I I I'm I'm scared. I can't remember the last time I watched a terrible terrible Doctor Who episode. Um I mean, obviously I watched them regularly cuz some of my favorite episodes are terrible terrible ones. But um <laughs> I mean in the new broadcast stuff, I I really don't think Capaldi's had a complete clunker yet for me. It's all it's 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 terrifying. This is I cannot imagine Doctor Who getting any better for me. Um and yeah, and now Christmas is coming up with the... F- I've never been this excited for a Christmas special before. I just, yeah, it's amazing. Chip? It's going to stop being good soon, isn't it? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Law of averages. I hope not. You know, I actually think on average I preferred Series 8 slightly more to this series. Um, <gasps> but I thought that the series got... I thought that the series got better as it went along. I think that... Uh, by and large, I'm less enamored of the two-parters um, that I thought that when the episodes were quasi-two-parters but had but were really, you know, like the girl who waited um, – I mean, I'm sorry, the girl who died uh, and the woman who lived, two separate stories. Um, this one, two separate stories, I thought that they were stronger than the um, – than the two parters that were simply continuations of each other, um, but on, I, I agree with Liz that this was a very consistent season. Um, there were only last season. I there were episodes that I just fell utterly in love with, like Flatline and Mummy on the Orient Express. I didn't have so many moments like that this series, but I was very satisfied just about all the way through. I think you might actually be the first person that I've I'm aware of that I know who who hasn't preferred this series to the last one. And even even people who this is for both people who loved last series and hated last series. I mean, they weren't exactly thrilled about this one too, but mm-hmm. they liked it better. But that that's interesting. I yeah, I, I, I might be that, I might be the second. <laughs> <gasps> My goodness! Uh, although, all... so I thought that the last season was incredibly consistent. I, I agree with you completely. Um, I didn't like Kill the Moon, but I did like almost everything. Yeah, I felt let down by the finale. I I. I didn't love the finale, the the, the two part 
finale last season. I didn't didn't love it. It was okay. Don't really love those Cybermen. I thought Missy was fine. Oh, I thought the gosh, Brigadier yes. stuff didn't really thrill me. <laughs> I'm not sure I loved how, how Danny Pink went out. And so I feel like in some ways, I, it, this season wasn't the inverse in general because I, I thought all the episodes this season were good. Maybe not... Uh, as good other than perhaps the Gatiss episode, which again, I, I kind of like the style of it, even though I thought that the, the story was dumb. I like the style of it. The difference for me is that these two or three final episodes of this season, I feel did a much better job than last season. I, I enjoyed the end of this story far better than I did last season. And so I can't, I think maybe can't pick between them. I, I would say maybe I would, that I feel like the average was a little bit higher last se- last series, but I, I think this year's uh, stories ended better. So, um, but I, I, so I, I like them both and Peter Capaldi is great in everything. Them. So I think Peter Capaldi was slightly better in this series. Just, I, he yeah. got lots of long monologuing and 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 got to act more. I thought. Yeah, well, they knew what they. Everybody knew what they had in him this time. I feel like that almost always happens with the the second season of a of a Doctor that they have a better idea who he is and they they know all the all the tricks they can use because that person can pull it off. I don't know. Just, just it think, took me I a think while. Generally speaking, that's true. I, although Matt Smith, actually, I think his first year was for me because that was that was another perfect year of Doctor yeah, Who for I me. I do agree, but generally mm-hmm. speaking, yes, yeah. that's that's I, true. So I had a I had a little bit of trouble early in the season um, relating to Capaldi because he was behaving so differently, uh, so much more Tom Bakery than um, he had been in Series Eight. Uh, so yeah. it took me a while. It, it took me a while. To, it took me a while to understand what Capaldi was doing and what the what the writers were doing um to 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 sort of figure him out and get on board again I I yeah no I mean I completely agree it's just I I was in love with every moment that he was clearly mm. decided I'm because I, I get so worried sometimes because I thought before the series started my biggest worry was his hair because it had gone all long and fluffy and it was like <laughs> oh dear god oh dear god are you trying to do a part way here have you not actually watched the part way years they get worse <laughs> as they go along the bigger the bouffant the worse the story <laughs> and um, it's turned out I have barely noticed it and maybe he wasn't trying to do a part way at all. Maybe he was trying to do a Tom Baker. Um, Velvet coat. Last, Velvet week's, coat. last week's episode, there were many moments where if I had closed my eyes, I would I, I would have told you it was Tom Baker. That there are yeah. moments where he, he lowers his voice and says things. And I think, oh, my goodness, it's it's Tom Baker is inside there somewhere. But yes. um, but I do think the the last few episodes really elevated it. And, and I I also think that in hindsight, we're going to look at the season and say it has perhaps the greatest single episode performance by a doctor in the modern series, which was the last episode, the Heaven Sent. And perhaps the single biggest and best scene from the doctor, which is the scene in the end of the episode. How the many, Zygon inversion. The Zygon inversion where he has his monologue there. So mm. for, in terms of some amazing moments, that's I think I think those are going to be remembered. I I agree with half of that. The, the <laughs> You don't Zygon, like the monologue in the Zygon inversion? I have mixed wow. feelings about it. There are, I I I like it to a degree. 
Um, my problem is that it's uh, it addresses conflict with the view that the out, the outside observer will always understand the conflict better oh, than someone who's entrenched, which makes me go, no, it's it's yeah, that it just work. seems it, it seems very doctory to me that to have that attitude. <laughs> yeah, it's such a complicated thing. It's, yeah. but yeah, but but I definitely agree with with the uh, the one episode thing. Sure. Seeing, seeing what he was able to do there was kind of like. All right, we've been talking a long time about an episode <laughs> that was a, less than an hour, so we should probably wrap it up. But uh, this is, th- I do feel there was so much here that we could have, we could go on and on and on and on, and we're go- we're all going to um, after after this is over within ten minutes, somebody's going to say, "I can't believe we didn't talk about <laughs> something else that's there." What about the lemonade? What's the meaning of the lemonade? Why does he choose lemonade? We did we I, didn't get into that. I'm, I'm sure between me and Liz, we've got you covered. Yeah, that's right. So I should say, as we say goodbye, um, James Thompson does not yet have a Doctor Who podcast of his not own. Uh, give him time. Uh, Chip, <laughs> it, Chip, you can you can hear at the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, which is available where all pod, fine podcasts are sold. And of course, Liz, you can hear her often on Verity, which is an excellent podcast that also includes many other people that you may know, including uh, the Apparently Mine's not Erica very Ensign. excellent. Chip, your yours is available where all podcasts are are, are sold. <laughs> this is Liz. Must she must has an excellent podcast. This is Chip. Chip has, you can find he, his. He also has a podcast. That's right. But I have nothing. So. And, and James is not yet his his podcast will be the greatest of all the podcasts, but it does not yet exist. At the end of time, we will go. We will travel, and the Chip's podcast will be there. You all, all your podcasts are beautiful, people. All your podcasts are beautiful. Uh, and uh, this is this is it for us. We're going to wrap the Doctor Who Flashcast. We're not going to do another episode until the long, long wait before the next Doctor Who, which is the Christmas special, which is what? That's in 20 days? All right. Well, <laughs> good Lord. We'll be back then. Until then, thank you to my guest, Chip Sutter. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. James Thompson, thank you from uh, Space Glasgow. Uh, I couldn't resist the the lure of the cloister bell. (laughs) And Liz Miles, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Arm flail, hand flail. We'll see you next time on the Doctor Who Flashcast 20 long days from now. Doctor Who Flashcast on the incomparable Doctor Who.